This is Drive Time Prop, 30 minutes of jam-packed, up-to-the-minute news from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice every weekday. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Today's top story, well, there I'm not sure anything really gets the top billing today. There's a lot, a lot of stories. So I'm just going to get in the one that I'm looking at right now, which is that the Boy Scouts is in big trouble in New York because of this Child Victims Act, which I thought had something to do with Epstein, but it has other implications. Apparently, the Boy Scouts had 7,800 pedophiles in their ranks and uh, suppressed some of that information and did not take action on some of the reports. The overarching feeling for me is that the Boy Scouts, I had noticed that they only even talked about the Boy Scouts in the context of, like the last time I read this article, in the context of saying that it happened in a Catholic church. And the reality is, and I'm not a big defender of the Catholic church, but the reality is this stuff is pervasive through different religious sects, different environments, kids, adults, workplaces, schools the it's it's widespread and maybe focusing on catholicism is a mistake because it's probably going continuing to be unreported in lots of other places so just uh i'm interested to see where this goes especially with this child's victims act maybe it really is an unintended consequence to cast a broader net and that uh, the other story I think that had to do with children was the new immigration rule where this is this is kind of a funny kind of left right how people what take they give you from the left and the right. I had what I first read was that the administration came up with a new rule to keep families together and to improve the conditions where they're being held at the border. So I figured that was going to go right with the prison reform. So there would be maybe more, more and better prisons built back that down there. I was thinking that when Obama came out and said, no more private prisons. And I thought there is so much money in that. There is so much corruption in that. And then when Trump and Sessions came out and said, not only are we not doing that, we're going to build more. I thought of the prison industrial complex as including that immigration stuff and even wondered if they were creating there was some cronyism behind how the border crisis was unfolding but the funny thing is that the headline i saw on the left basically said that the trump administration was going to increase the length of incarceration among the children but but that's only because they're allowed then to be with their families and then they don't have that super short time frame which you know what do they want which way do they want it and that's what the law was previous to the current law is that well it was similar to that in that they could hold the children longer because they weren't separating them from their families so it's a lose-lose situation yeah and the way that they frame it yeah, exactly. It has kind of come full circle. <laughs> and to your point, we've heard a lot of prison stuff when it comes to the Epstein story. A major focus of that story has now become the failures of the prison system. And there could be calls for 
the the prison industrial complex, as you said, calls for improvements there. So that could lead to some changes in the prison system as well. That's a big thing. And I do also think that these prison break stories have been feeding into that meme for a long time. And my observation is that I, I cannot think of a single system that is more corrupt than the private prison system because they have been found time and time again to corrupt, to pay off judges and legislators for mandatory sentencing, for putting people in jail for for minor infractions, for making things illegal. I mean, that stuff could not be more unjust or unconstitutional. I mean, there is a conflict of interest. And to me, people think, oh, you're a libertarian. You must like private. I'm like, it's not private. If all the money is coming from the government, the word privatize or austerity or any of that stuff, it's really just part of the corporate government partnership that is the worst of all possible worlds, rife with corruption, and it allows the people who get rich by it to be out in the open with it. So if you're in a communist system and you're just stealing caviar here and there, you've got uh, dancing girls in the back room, you got to keep it kind of low key. But when you have a more fascist system where the people get the people providing the services can be obscenely enriched by being single contractors, by being basically monopsonists who bribe governments for contracts, then they can really be rich and out in the open, and it it just sets up a moral hazard in uh, several different directions. So I do keep an eye on the prison industrial complex. It's very disturbing to me. Did you say monopsonist? Yes, a monopsonist. What is that? Nice. That was a good word. I'm glad you caught that. A monopolist is a single supplier, someone who has a uh, the, the supplies everything. A monopsonist is a single buyer. Ah, uh, I see. So if you're the only customer in town, I guess the government in in is a monopsonist and a monopolist in lots of different areas. Maybe all the areas they dominate. It might end up being ironic that the Jeffrey Epstein story leads to more prison reform while doing very little to bring down the pedophiles. Right. And his, and the fact that he did absolutely get this treatment in the, in his prison that is just shocks the conscience. They act like the, the prison reform will definitely not address elite privilege, you know, is that John Corzine isn't going to get three squares and a cot in some maximum security prison like I think he deserves. He's still going to walk. It's it's not going to affect them. It's just going to incarcerate powerless people at our expense. And what did he do again? John Corzine was the governor of New Jersey, a senator from New Jersey, and the CEO of Goldman Sachs, and he bet it all. This actually leads into another story I have here. He bet it all, basically, including the the deposits of investors, not people who gave him money to invest, but people who had investment accounts, like your E-Trade account or your bank account. He bet it all on the European debt crisis, and when it didn't resolve in time, he lost it all. And then as the, they were circling the drain, instead of putting the money back into the accounts, he gave it to J.P. Morgan to settle that account, which is, I think, fraudulent conveyance. Now, this stuff was never tried. 
So I'm not saying this is all true, but that is my understanding from reading it. And I know if Byron's listening, he's going to send me an email, like how I'm getting the details a little bit, <laughs> not technically correct, but I think that's the general idea. I'll read Byron's response tomorrow. But he, he should have been, I remember the commentators at the time were saying this guy should be, should be worried about staying out of jail, much less being poor or unpopular and he was never even tried never even tried and the guy who failed to try him was all about oh i'm i'm the prosecutor of the bankers i think it was the guy that trump let go but it totally wasn't but but here's the thing so here is a part of my the other story that i was thinking of that i was noticing today italy is still in crisis italy the country is still in crisis because it never really recovered from the devastation of the European bond crisis. So the Europeans, when they established the EU and the euro, they went, they basically, like, bar, bar, it gave smaller countries the ability to borrow more than they otherwise would have because all of a sudden they were tied into this big economic block that gave them kind of false, falsely higher credit rating. So it really happened in, like, Italy and Ireland and, it was like I countries, Iceland, but a lot of the peripheral countries. And in Italy, they they were having Greece had, of course, serious crisis. They, as their their situation was getting more and more dire, their prime minister, their democratically elected government, was just, I think, fairly quietly replaced without any election or anything. And their prime minister is, I guess, the equivalent of our president. I mean, it varies, like, how much power a prime minister has versus a president in different countries, but their prime minister is, the, is a big shot. And they replaced the prime minister with the with a technocrat, with a, with a central banker named, uh, you know, you might have heard of him. I think his name was Mario Monti. I'm... Um, just can't remember exactly, but Mario uh, Monti. Yes, Monti. Yeah, like the uh, that has so many implications, so many overtones, and that was like in 2011, a few years after that 2008 crisis. And he was there for a couple of years, and now they have. I think they are calling for a snap election, or they're trying to put together a new government in Italy. They continue to have problems, and it is reported that it comes from that. And I just, I just like to point out that two things. One is the crisis that we inflated our way out of on behalf of ourselves and Europe and possibly the rest of the world in 2008, that, that was a can kicking that should, should have some repercussions. And I, I, it looks like it's stabilized, but as Dean said when Trump was elected, it could be that he is here to oversee that great correction that they didn't really suffer through when they should have. So there's a chance that 2008 will yet come back to haunt us now, and the interest rates remain phenomenally low, which means if there is any even organic correction, that there's no way for this system to use interest rates to get us out of it again. So they got to correct it to make way for the next correction. I don't know how it's going to resolve. And then the other thing is, it's when there's a crisis, you can use that as an excuse to put in an unelected government or a technocracy, which is where they say we are marching towards. So there, 
to see it's like when they took people's guns away after Katrina you're kind or like like uh martial law in Boston after the Boston Marathon bombing it's just you wouldn't you can see these examples you think you put all these these safeguards up and then you see this examples of like oh well uh forget all that <laughs> we're just swapping out your democracy right now but it'll just be temporary and in that case it was temporary but I, I don't know. I don't trust it long term. And it's good to remember, oh, this is the last thing on that. 1998, uh, Russia went bankrupt as a country. It defaulted on its government debt. And you don't think that can happen. Again, this is something that you probably didn't even know about. And uh, and there it happened. And for us, if you look at Russia now, they have very, very low national debt, probably because they have terrible credit rating. And I actually think that is the strongest competitive advantage they have against us in the future is that is that foundation of economic strength. While we really look like bankruptcy or or the equivalent through inflation is our only way out. Yeah, I'd say we have a long way to go to pay off our trillions dollars worth of debt and then finally the wall street journal and the cbo the congressional budget office finally weeks later way after it's too late said wow you know that budget those guys signed is really a problem we're really gonna have a major debt crisis the deficit's out of control there's i was saying it the day it happened i was like hello why are we not talking about this and those guys are finally reporting on it quietly, and there's nothing we can do about it now. So all these economic factors, I think, get underreported. They're, maybe they're too boring. I don't know. But I think they're worth watching out for. I think it's easy to underreport those when you have story after story about Jeffrey Epstein coming out every single day, like his former cellmate, which I don't know if you've seen his former cellmate, the police officer who's been convicted of a quadruple homicide. He looks like... A mutant. He doesn't look like a real person. There's a picture of him with his shirt off, sitting on a deck with a tiny little dog. And all I could think about was how if he moves, he's going to crush that dog to death because this is the largest man I've ever seen in my life. His traps <laughs> swallow his head whole. He has, he has to get his clothes specially made. I'm serious. Look up a picture. There's a couple of pictures of him with a dog. Find the one of him with his shirt off on a deck with a dog. He is a freak. I mean, he's a terrifying looking person. He would have had no problem murdering Epstein had he wanted to do that. I, I don't think he did, but his lawyer has now sent a letter to judges saying that he's been told to shut up that he's been threatened to stop talking, to stop complaining, and that the clear message to him has been that if he conveys any information about the facility or about what happened with Jeffrey Epstein, that there will be a price to pay and that he is requesting to be removed from that facility because he fears for his life, which I almost laughed out loud when I read because this guy is like – he's like literally a, a wall. He looks like he's wearing a Hulk suit. It doesn't look real, does it? It does no. kind of look like a Hulk suit. It doesn't. It actually does not look real. It, it doesn't, and his face. But I believe looks it because his neck is so big. I think there's some steroids that might have been involved at some point in time or another, or not. If anything, this guy could be a great trainer leading a workout program in the prison facility. But a story that I really wanted to talk about today is. It's kind of a cluster of stories. I'll see these stories online sometimes, and I'll think to myself, why are they showing me this story? This doesn't seem to have any relevance, and 
if it's on there, if we're being told it, if it's being prominently placed on a major network's website or if it's getting featured in a mainstream media news, then most of the time it is there for some sort of agenda purposes. It's not just there for informational purposes. That, that's the rarest of the rare for a story to be there just for informational purposes. For example, I've seen a recent rash of stories about alligators climbing over fences and I've seen yes. like today, and this is the one I want to talk about today, is a story I saw featured on CNN. It was the top story for a little while this morning. It was about how bobcats and panthers in Florida are losing their ability to walk. And the Florida Wildlife Fish and Conservatory uh, Commission, they've been monitoring these bobcats and these panthers in Florida because they've noticed an increase in panthers and bobcats that they've started kind of their hind legs – have been giving out underneath thing, underneath, and they've toppled over and they're falling down, and they've confirmed neurological problems in two of these cases and two of these animals. And at first glance, I'm looking at this story. I'm going, why are they telling me this? Why is this the top <laughs> featured story on CNN right now? And why has it been on here for a couple of days now? It's still on there, at last I checked. And then I read further into the story, and I saw that panthers – are an endangered species. Specifically, CNN said they are on the endangered species list instead of calling them endangered species, which was a red flag for me because mm -hmm. I've never heard somebody not say endangered species but instead say on the endangered species list. And that made me think about how Trump last week was blasted for scaling back some of the regulations um, when it comes – some of the protections, they say, for endangered species. He, he was even called – accused of cruelty to animals by some of these changes in the Endangered Species Act. And so I looked into the changes that they made into the act because I wanted to kind of get to the bottom of why this story was being told to me. And I discovered that one of the main changes that people have a problem with that the Trump administration made to the Endangered Species Act is that they changed – they made it more difficult for, I guess, the Environmental Protection Agency or whoever is able to do this – they made it more difficult for them to classify unoccupied land as critical habitat for endangered species, something that under the Obama administration they could pretty much do at will. So classifying unoccupied land as critical habitat for endangered species. So the question that arises right here is where you see what this story is really about. So what – just – if off the top of your head, maybe this is uh, too much of a confusing question, but what do you think the main factor in determining in whether or not to classify an unoccupied area of land as critical habitat for an endangered species would be? What do I think the main criterion for that yeah, is? Yeah, how would they determine whether or not an unoccupied sect of land can be classified <laughs> as critical habitat for an endangered species? I guess I would say, I mean, I, maybe I'm thinking about it wrong, but I guess I would say if loss of that habitat would make the animal extinct. Yes, there's currently no animals in that habitat, though, that they would identify as critical habitat. But they could still potentially identify it as critical habitat? Yes, at will, <laughs> under the Obama administration, they had the power to do that. Let me give you a hint. It has to do with future computer models. 
Climate change. Oh my gosh! How could I not snap? Climate that? change. The new administration. The administration. See, you had me at when you were telling me that. Like, I never find anything that doesn't have a purpose, and you had me hanging on the end of my, at the edge of my seat. Like, why are they having neurological problems? Yes, this is so. That's what I was thinking about, and that <laughs> that does factor into it right there. Is the I the what the Trump administration did is they scaled back the ability of them to classify these unoccupied sects of land, which under the Obama administration, they could classify just anything. So any land the government could essentially confiscate if they said climate change is going to drive endangered species into migrating into these areas of land in the future. They might potentially have to migrate there. Therefore, we're going to have to basically confiscate this land under the guise of classifying it as a critical habitat in the future. It's classified now because in the future, the animals that are endangered might go there. And what the Trump administration did is they they made it more difficult for them to do that by removing – they no longer factor in climate change as a relevant factor in determining these critical habitats that are currently unoccupied by the animals. They're, they can still do it, but the, the factors are more clear. They were unambiguous, and the Obama administration was allowing them to just – at will classify these lands that had no animals there, and they were saying, why? Because climate change. So this is a climate change story. It's that's not a story. Can I, can I say why I think that's a, a moral hazard? Yeah, go ahead. I think it's a, a temptation to corruption, and this is why. If under the Obama administration, a bunch of people who worked for, let's say, a real estate developer – or a quarry or something where that land had value to them and they wanted it and they didn't want to pay a certain amount or they wanted to be able to appropriate it for private use by using the government. Under Obama, they could go in and have one of their lackeys or lobbyists or whatever get the stuff that land taken offline and then with the next administration, preferably of another party, can come in and say, oh, we can unclassify this. And, you know, in, in the meanwhile, the price, the, the value of that land might have gone way down. I mean, Trump has used the power of the government to, like, do eminent domain or whatever, like, take take away the to, – to force one – to force the transfer of property by using government power. And I could just see how that might play into that. I don't know the details, but I just worry when they talk about how they manipulate land zoning. And, you know, I often think there's a real estate play behind there it. There could be a real estate play behind. That's the other side of it. The The side of it for Obama is that the government was able to take take land at will by claiming that it's going to— Did it take it or did it just change its use? And that's enough of a taking because then somebody's selling it for rock bottom. You can't use it for—like they can use it for whatever. And then the other end of it is that Trump is going to try and profit off of it. So that's that's the dueling ends of it. Personally, what they did, it gives the government less control over the land. Um, But when you take it back to this story about the Panthers— the interesting thing about it is they ruled out a lot of vi- – they made a specific point to say that they ruled out a lot of viruses and diseases, and now they're looking into the environmental factors, and they're looking into if it's pesticides or whatever. And if we do see a follow-up to this story, which we might, then I anticipate it will be something like this. It has been determined that it was human 
environmental factors that, that are causing this endangered species to have these neurological problems. And because the Trump administration scaled back the ability to classify these unoccupied lands as critical habitat, they have nowhere to go, and therefore these endangered panthers are going to die off because they're forced to stay in this environment that climate change – where climate change is killing them. I think that's probably the direction the story would go if there were to be a follow-up. But then I thought about that story with the alligator story. There's been all- stories about alligators climbing fences, which is not a new thing. There's yeah, videos- I've noticed those stories. But – This is also going to be related to climate change, and you look at the Greenland story today. The Greenland story is still in the news for a number of reasons, but primarily because it has brought climate change back to the forefront. And I looked at CNN.com today, and there was another story about climate. So climate change, all of these stories, some of them more direct, others more indirect, like the Panther story, they're all serving the same theme to push climate change and the climate change discussion back prominently in the public mind. And I just found it interesting – That this kind of side story that had a little bit of prominence for a little while indirectly pushed that theme only to find that other stories indirectly did it as well. I have a couple of things that one just an aside and the other it's the Denmark story. The aside is just they talk about environmental factors, which can really mean anything. And my my most noticeable example or egregious example is when they say like in brazil their zika caused microcephaly tiny brains or anencephaly no brain at all and if you look at the the rate uh and they told then the pope was like maybe abortion is a good idea or birth control like something crazy which i knew was coming i knew that's what they were gonna go with that because brazil has like no abortion or strict abortion laws i don't know so i i figured that's what that was for But I just did a little math and a little research, and I discovered that the rate for the population of microcephaly is much higher in the U.S. than it is in Brazil. And in Texas, where it had they had had an unusually high amount over a period of time, they tested and they discovered that it had to do with a very specific, I believe, pesticide. That was being used, and the the connection of the pesticide with the rate of microcephaly and the number of people getting it in the population was crystal clear in Texas. It was an old study, like twenty years ago, uh, and in Brazil, no way it was absolutely not. But they can just say environmental issues, and you can think it's climate change, you can think it's Zika, but it might be pesticides, which are human, but they just don't get human caused, but they don't get the kind of press. Yeah, I, and. I, I wanted to follow up on the Denmark thing, which is I thought it was kind of funny because now it says, oh, Trump canceled his trip to Denmark, not because they're not selling Greenland, but because the prime minister, I believe it is, some chick was, quote, nasty. So they, 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 the headline of, of Trump calling this chick nasty, I knew without even reading on, like, it was a female yeah. because, like, the nasty thing is, like, slut-shaming. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like those subtle words make such a difference. So uh, when I, my mother was telling me about the Greenland thing, yeah, she calls. This is what she's like. So Trump wants to buy Greenland. You know, I think that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> so a big, my mom, a big Trump fan, thinks it's cute that he wants to buy Greenland, which I'm sure the nasty girl would not find cute. <laughs> Then, uh, oh, I have to follow up on the Israel thing, and I'm going to read from the Wall Street Journal. The uh, Last week, 
I I postulated that uh, the Congresswoman Taleb, 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 and Omar, this back and forth they're having with Israel, just smacked of some theater to me. Yeah, dialectical <laughs> theater, and uh, and the so I was reading in the Wall Street Journal as a follow up. It said. This is the I'm going to read straight from because people do not I I don't want to offend anybody. I'm not imparting my own any kind of judgment here, but I just I'm going to read what he said. And they they did not. Some people did not like it. This is the headline is Trump criticizes Jews who vote Democratic. This quote from the article is, I think any Jewish people that vote for a Democrat, I think it shows either a total lack of knowledge or great disloyalty. Uh, the president said in the Oval Office during a stream of comments about Reps Tlaib and Omar, the first two Muslim women members of Congress who were last week barred from entering Israel. And when we talked about it, it's because it went back and forth, and they said, okay. Uh, this says goes on to say, Jewish voters have long leaned heavily Democratic. Omar and Tlaib have been sharply critical of Israeli policy and U.S. support for Israel in terms that critics have said veer into anti-Semitism. And then the article goes on and on, and uh, it concludes with this. Mr. Trump and some Republicans have regarded controversies surrounding Madame's Taleb and Omar, Omar's criticism of Israeli treatment of Palestinians as an opportunity to attract Jewish votes. And I did say, I thought this might have, this had a smack of Elliot Abrams and his conversation about how to get liberal Jews behind the foreign policy of the right-wing Israeli government. And he said, give them a left-wing Israeli government with the same foreign policy. But I feel like this is somehow an extension of that. I don't know, but I had seen something like this coming, and here it is. So I said, what to watch out for? I think this is, I mean, doesn't that seem like it's following in the footsteps of a dialectic there's a dialectic going on there and we'll definitely keep our eyes out for that i think that about wraps it up you can find your drive time prop every day at the com at 4 p.m or at your favorite podcasting platform we will talk to y'all tomorrow